Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Rachel Maidman, Executive Director of the Council. And today we mark a milestone in our podcast and that we are returning to a subject approximately one year on. I'm delighted to be back speaking to Council members Professor Derek McCormick, Vice-Chancellor of Auckland University of Technology, and Danny Chan, Director of Up Education about International Education. And with Jenny Dixon moving to a new role, we're also speaking with Ainsley Moore, Deputy Director International from Auckland University. So let's kick it off just by finding out how your institutions have fared over the last year and what the impact of this lockdown has been. We had a surprisingly large number of new international students, but mainly from students that were already in country. So we had about three times more than the number that we budgeted, which was uh, obviously much fewer than the year before because of the border closure. So we had about a thousand new international students this year. Um, those coming from overseas, the government did allow a thousand students to come in. 98 AUT students have arrived back in New Zealand, which is less than our share of that thousand. It's been quite difficult for them getting here, getting MIQ places. We have 10 students currently in MIQ, 44 are in various stages of returning to New Zealand. Um, of the 250 PhD cohort, we've only had 15 students being able to arrive back in New Zealand, with a further three still trying to get through the process. So there's been quite a lot of impediments, as you would understand, with the various procedures you have to go through with checking and travel and MIQ and then getting into back into university study. Interesting. How about for Auckland University, Ainsley? How have you been going? We've had a similar experience um, with respect to a, an increased number of new students beginning with the university. I think what is different is that with the University of Auckland, a great many of those students have started with us offshore online. So almost 50% of my international students at the moment are studying with us offshore, and that includes a significant number of students currently in China. Of those students who have been able to return to New Zealand through either the 250 cohort or, or the 1000 cohort, our students are facing the same challenges as Derek's at AUT in getting access to MIQ spots. At the moment, MIQ is the challenge to enable students to return. They're coming in in dribs and drabs when they can get a spot, but um, it hasn't been the smooth process we'd all hoped for. Just like but, to uh, agree with Ainsley, but the surprisingly good interest in online education. And a lot of our returning students have returned online because they've, they've gone home, they can't come back, but they're, they're sticking with us. And for some of our courses, like our one-year masters, um, online has continued to be very popular. That is interesting because what we've seen come through in the overall trade stats is that tourism has obviously been decimated uh, and that's gone down by more than 70%, but international education had only reduced by about 30%. Uh, and the reason for that being that there was still a lot of students in the pipeline but I'm just going to turn now to Danny because Danny, you're obviously quite uh, heavily involved in English language teaching, uh, and also you've got a good understanding of what's happening with the the younger students. So, what's happening from your perspective um, with the students that are really at the beginning of that pipeline? Well, now we decided to go online, and um, we also set up the uh, what we call study hubs in um, a number of countries. And so the students in those countries, they just go to those study hubs as if they're going to the classrooms, but learning online. 
And uh, in terms of numbers, actually, it's surprisingly good, particularly for New Zealand. We have our uh, pathway program with AUT and Auckland universities. And um, they actually, at the moment, is probably close to about 300 students online. And, um, and there have been some who actually finished last year, but somehow decided to uh, do other things online with us. Yeah, so roughly we, we're down to by about one third in terms of the numbers. And so, Danny, in terms of where your hubs are located, uh, do you have any hubs in China? Yes, we have two hubs, one in Guangzhou and the other one in Suzhou. And how have they been? And so what can you just talk us through exactly what happens with those hubs? So do students come in and study in a physical location? Yes, they are studying in a physical location. And basically we have the um, computers and then they just, as if they were attending a class, except that they were looking at the screen. And, um, and we do have staff there to actually to um, help them. And um, so there are staff that are employed by you teaching English and... Yes, and not so much of English. It's mainly for the pathway programs for the universities, which actually don't have uh, English teaching in China. Right, and I think probably something that people are very focused on at the moment has been the crackdown on private education uh, in China by the Chinese authorities, uh, and so that doesn't impact on your programs and what you're doing in terms of these pathway courses. No, it doesn't. But what it does mean, though, I think in the future, there'll be more younger students coming to New Zealand. Mm. And, yeah, that's really and fascinating. Then, yes, and then uh, that, that means that they actually do need to have uh, special English um, coaching before they move on to pathway programs or do some other things. So we might see a, a revitalise of the English teaching in the future. That's fascinating. Uh, and so when we're looking at how these programs actually uh, work and practice, and um, this is probably a good time to pass to you now, Ainsley, just to talk about exactly what Auckland University has done in China over this period and how that's been going. Thank you, Rachel. Um, we established our first China Learning Centres in second semester of last year. We had some 300 students studying with us, and it's a model similar to Danny's, except that um, uh, we've been placing our students on the campuses of partner institutions. So those students were going to Southwest University and Nefu um, universities. They um, are studying online, doing University of Auckland content delivered by University of Ac Auckland Academics, but they're doing so in a campus setting. They're part of a campus culture. They're alongside other students. They can join the basketball team. They um, live on campus. We have academic support provided by our partners in China to help them to engage with the University of Auckland content, but um, they get to do so outside of their parents' lounge rooms. We had uh, 300 students that first semester, and then when we expanded the program to an additional location in Shanghai in uh, first semester, we grew to 600 students, and we have some just shy of 600 students this semester studying in, in four different locations across China at the moment. What is interesting is that we've been seeing students um, campus jumping. They'll spend one semester at Southwest, a semester in Shanghai, and now they're looking to go to Minan. So they're having a cultural tour of China in the context of our China Learning Centres, which is really, really wonderful. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. I saw some of the online material that you'd posted with your students walking around the campuses, and 
um, Ainsley, you mentioned sports teams, etc. But all of the videos I watch seem to be very focused on the food options. They are somewhat food obsessed. Yes. They are. <laughs> uh, so that's that's obviously an interesting um, uptick in interest, and I guess that does bring us on to interest in New Zealand. Why do you think you've had? Is it because you've been able to offer? innovative options that perhaps competitor countries haven't that suit the student uh, or are you continuing to see this real interest in New Zealand driven by a desire to come here in person? We believe that students want to come to Auckland. They're looking for a New Zealand education experience in New Zealand eventually. For our Chinese students, they were more loath than any other student around the world to travel somewhere where COVID was impacting the study experience. They were more inclined to stay home and study online than um, students from India, for example. So we saw many, many Chinese students choose to study online or defer their study with the university ahead of being able to enter, enter New Zealand. We believe that students are still aiming to transition to campus when the borders are open. But at some point, I worry that they're capacity for patients will be exhausted. For some students, they're entering their third year of online study with the university, and that is not what they signed up for. They'll be looking for guidance from government, guidance from universities about what study in New Zealand in 2022 will look like. And that is especially important now as other competitor countries around the world, particularly Canada, but also notably the US and the UK, have opened their borders and enabled international students to study on campus. If Australia moves, we'll be in real trouble. Very interested to hear from Derek and Danny on this topic as well. Have you got anything to add from your perspective? Well, I think um, the QS survey of international students showed that more and more students are willing to change their country of preference to study online. Uh, So that trend is going up. It's now hitting 20% of students that have been prevented from accessing their country of preference. More and more students willing to change. Um, And obviously those countries that have opened their borders to international students are going to be in the vanguard of that and be successful. And of course, we've seen Australia with their plan to open up for initially 500 students, uh, recognition of vaccines that are prevalent in China and India. So they will be ahead of us. And Australia has always been the sort of, you know, top of the class with international uh, and New Zealand in their wake. So we're just falling further and further behind with uncertainty. And I think the point that Ainsley made about students are willing to study online if they feel there's an opportunity to finish on campus. And if we can't give them any certainty about that happening, I think we do start to lose the shine from our opportunities. So government's got to really think hard about giving us some more positive signals about when and how borders will open for international students. And it's not just an issue for us, it's an issue for the whole country because they're so pivotal to the economy, our connection to the world, and all sorts of other important ways they contribute, not just for the universities, where, of course, they're essential as well. Yeah, certainly for us, those students at a younger age, so sort of 18, 19, and then um, the longer we delay the less likelihood they will come here, even yeah, yeah. though they're going to online, because when they get to 2021, they're going to decide, what are we going to do? Unless uh, we can give them a very definite date when they could get here. Till now, the perception um, in China particularly has been that New Zealand has managed the virus well. 
and it has raised the awareness of New Zealand as an education destination high above where we've ever been before. But that period of shine is waning. If we don't provide a means for students to enter, then we will have lost the benefit of all that additional profile. The time is now. Thank you. I think that's coming through pretty loud and clear. Uh, and so in terms of just drilling down now into what is happening with our competitor um, countries, and we have touched on this a little already, um, but as Derek spoke about, there has been a recent announcement, um, for example, by the New South Wales government around 500 fully vaccinated students coming through. And just in the last week or so, we've heard that they will recognise the vaccines. Um, what are you seeing with other sort of major competitors such as UK, Canada and US, um, which have largely kept the borders open but have also been dealing with the impact of rising geopolitical tensions? Have you seen that have an impact on their student market or any impact on us? I think we're seeing something of a Biden bounce. So the US <laughs> is um, more appealing than it has been for some time. The Secretary of State has made prominent public statements about the value of international students to the United States and their engagement with the world, which was a clear distinction from the previous administration and US institutions are seeing that in rising interest for study. Um, the Canadians are doing remarkably well. They have been the nation to benefit most greatly from the situation um, with increased uh, students predominantly coming in from the subcontinent, but also more broadly. I think now that the UK has finally got its post-study work rights in order, they too will start to see pick up from students across the major markets. Australia is a, a tricky situation. For the last 18 months, they've been variously announcing pilots that have never come off. There have been 76 students arrive in Australia over the last 18 months, all of them going through to Charles Darwin University in a program that it was actually administered by a New Zealander who used to run um, Derek's international office before she jumped across to the Northern Territory. What we're seeing in responses from students is, is almost fury at the frequency with, with which Australia announces a pathway that never comes through. So the potential for this New South Wales pilot, 500 students announced and then backtracked and then promoted, has the, the potential to, again, just raise expectations that they cannot deliver. I think the first announcement when they suggested that they would only recognise Pfizer and AstraZeneca was an incredible faux pas on their part. Um, and it is excellent that the government has come around to recognising those vaccines that are most um, prevalent across China and India. But to suggest that, that they would run a pilot for returning international students and not include students from China, it, it stunned me, the level of um, misread of the situation. I very much hope that students will be able to enter through that pilot, but I wouldn't be counting chickens just yet. Well, that's, uh, that's encouraging um, for us. But I guess the warning in it is don't announce something if you're not going to back it up. While we're all keen to get some clarity, I think we don't want to do it too soon so that there's a backtrack because that'll be damaging. On the geopolitical thing, I, I think that's going to be a factor in student choice, but it's not the factor. I think um, students are, are looking for all sorts of things, and if they're allowed to go anywhere, they'll make choices that relate to their own ambitions and 
their own um, lifestyle preferences and what they've heard from others about the university experience in the countries that their friends have been to. So if we're looking at predictions for when things might sort of get back to normal for your industry, Derek and Ainsley, do you have any um, sense of when things might return to normal? I think there's a question about what normal might be. So I think we're we're looking to be able to uh, increase the number of students that can come to New Zealand and study on campus with us. You know, it may not be a return to what it was in the past, but it will be a different normal. And I think it will possibly include uh, that mix of online on campus. So maybe more students starting online and finishing on campus, maybe the other way around as well. I would hope that in this the second or third quarter of 2022, we do see a shift from government into uh, at least a clear plan, if not an, a loosening of the tight restrictions on the border. What I've heard from directly from the minister is that he's concerned that we can open up I mean, being concerned, of course, is one thing and actually doing something about it is another. But I don't think there's any antipathy from government to the idea of opening up. In fact, I think there's positivity towards it. Obviously, over above that is the concern to assure the public that it will be safe because I don't think they want to do anything that's going to have a negative impact on their social license around their COVID management. Generally concur with what Derek has to say. I think there's going to be an increase of online to onshore over time, even as the border opens, which will see, still see students coming to New Zealand for some, if not the bulk of their uh, education. The trick there is that a lot of the benefit to New Zealand comes from having international students in New Zealand, part of our communities, part of our campuses, mm. uh, part of our classrooms. We also want those graduates stay in New Zealand and contribute to our labour market, to our economy, to our communities longer mm. term. So. Things will change, but I, I hope that we still see um, international students arriving and, can, and joining our communities. That's, that's obviously interesting, and there's been a lot of talk recently about diversification. Uh, how has that been implemented in your institutions? Okay, maybe I can start on that first. Yeah, we, we actually got offices and um, marketing team in probably seven countries at the moment. And so, you know, we have always been diversified, but whether you like it or not, China still remains one of the largest markets that accounts for at least two-thirds of the international students coming here for us. So even though we try very hard to um, attract uh, students from other countries, China is still the biggest. Diversification question is an interesting one. It's not just diversification by the country from which our students come. It can also be diversification of what they study with us, whether that's undergraduate, postgraduate, foundation, English, whether they're taking business degrees, engineering, public policy. What we'd like to see is the, a diversification of students from different countries across the breadth of our academic offering so that our domestic students here, whatever they study, have the benefit of studying alongside international students from around the world. I think the... Um Vocational training is another area that um, the Chinese um, students are interested in because um, in China, they sort of found that um, there are too many students going to universities and when they come out, they don't know what to do. And so they're you know, putting more emphasis on uh, getting 
vocational training, some sort of a trade sort of a type of a skills. And um, I think you will find that uh, in future, the percentage of students coming here, going to the university and going to the vocational training will sort of um, increase. Absolutely. That was a trend that was already starting to happen when I was in market. Yeah, a lot of increased interest on those practical skills that China recognised. There was still needed. There was still a lot of parental perceptions around sort of university versus vocational training. But that's interesting. Thanks, Danny. I think that's an important point to keep in mind. Ainsley, you did talk about the need to diversify across programs. And I just wanted to ask specifically for the China market and for Chinese students, where are you wanting to diversify and what are you wanting to see from that market across your programs? So the university has strength in STEM disciplines. We're looking to expand access among Chinese students into our postgraduate taught programs in STEM fields with an emphasis on employability outcomes for those students. So building internships into the program, building connections into the city so that those students um, can stay and make a contribution to New Zealand should they choose to, but are also able to take excellent experience and academic learning home with them to China should they choose. So shifting from undergraduate business to a broader a set of Chinese students engaging in our postgraduate taught space. Okay, so what I'm hearing from the group, I guess, is that, and this is quite interesting because we hear this in the primary goods sector as well, is that diversification, obviously everybody wants a perfectly diversified portfolio, but it's really complicated and hard to achieve. And we also want diversity across a range of other factors. And we've heard that too with some of our producers. They want diversity across channels, for example. So they might want to cover off food service plus um, sort of retail plus e-commerce channels. So there's more than one way to look at the diversity question. Uh, and it sounds like the same thing applies to students. But regardless, what I'm hearing as well is that China is going to remain a really important market. And post-COVID, what seemed to come through earlier is that perhaps increasingly so um, due to the fact that some of those students from India, et cetera, have pivoted to other more open markets. So um, in general, in terms of steps forward and looking forward into the future. Um, one thing we did talk about was having a plan. Uh, and I know that Derek, last year, you were noting that universities had good processes and facilities for quarantining students. Is that something that's still potentially on the agenda? Yeah, I think rather than the word quarantining, I would say good facilities to uh, support self-isolation. I, I think quarantining is a bit tougher for us, but certainly uh, many of our Halls and hostels are very well set up for students to be able to self-isolate for a short period. And in terms of also measures to keep the market warm, so we spoke last time about Education New Zealand still operating in the markets to keep our brand presence alive. How effective do you think those measures have been? Uh, and is there anything more that we need to do on that front? Okay, on Education New Zealand, I think they're still very supportive of what we're doing. And they um, helped us on their local ground staff to um, help us on the uh, marketing side. And then, for example, uh, um, recently we had a graduation um, for some of our students, online students, and then they went along and also um, gave us the support on that. So I think they're doing as much as they could uh, to help us. Um, I think uh, Education New Zealand is sort of keeping 
doing what they can to keep the New Zealand brand alive. I think the universities tend to operate more independently with, with our own um, outreach and uh, marketing strategies. And sometimes that's, you know, that's helped by Education New Zealand. Sometimes we're sort of going it alone quite successfully. I think that um, many universities have increased their presence of in-country marketers over mm. the last 18 months, building on what was already in train. But this has meant that we haven't relied upon sending staff around the world when we're not able to. It's had a, a slight upside in that um, it, it reflects our green credentials if we're not flying folk around mm. the world quite as, as frequently as we had been in the past. It's a more effective use of our marketing dollar as well. I think that trend will continue. You will, you will see more university and indeed foundation providers having marketing staff based in country who represent yeah. their institutions in one nation or in a region rather than us jumping oh, on planes. This is one of the things the pandemic has taught us. It is not necessary mm. all of the time to mm. jump on a plane. And yeah, and all of our carbon emission totals have <laughs> dropped away dramatically. We're looking really clean and green on that score anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think the thing that's clearly come through as well is that there has been that New Zealand institutions have been able to adapt to a model that suits the Chinese students by way of an online program, which can then transition through to an in-person program. But what you're going to need to see going forward is for a safe re-entry and so the in-person component can be offered to students. So I guess the final thing just to finish up on uh, is how optimistic are you in terms of international education going forward? I'm still very optimistic, uh, probably because I'm a perpetual optimist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I, I think New Zealand's actually, is, uh, I, I maintain that as one of the most favourable countries for the Chinese students. Yeah, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think we don't want to miss the approach. I, that's the only thing that worries me a little bit. But I, I'm optimistic, you know, on balance. Yes, on balance. The next year is going to be hard. But after that, we have an excellent offer, wonderful place with oh. strong connections. The long-term outlook is good for us. Oh. We've got a great product. Oh. And a great country to come to. Too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Many thanks to our panellists for their insights on an important sector for New Zealand. For more podcasts, please check out our website www.nzchinacouncil.org.nz or follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.